everybody, and welcome back to Muscle Maven Radio. I'm your host, Ashley Van Houten, and I say welcome back because it's been a while since we've been here together. Um, My last episode I released at the end of 2021, so a few months ago now. And as any of you who are following me know, it's largely because... I have a new baby and it's keeping me quite busy in my life. Uh, I've got some other project going on and I just kind of needed to take a little bit of a break. Um, But also it's a little bit because I'm doing some sort of reframing of what I think I need to do as far as my career goes. And honestly, I love this podcast and I believe that I will continue doing it. But, you know, when you're an online, uh, health and wellness person, and when a lot of the work that you do is in the digital space and online, there are a lot of these sort of quote-unquote rules of what you have to do to be successful. And I think one of them with podcasting was always that more is better. You just got to keep churning out those podcasts. You got to do one a week at least, or else people will forget about you and what's the point. And I kind of did follow that for a while because I know that you kind of have to be in front of people. Um enough so that they see you and they hear you and they remember you and all that good stuff. But I just, I don't want to put out content and I don't want to take up my own valuable time as well as yours just for the sake of some kind of internet algorithm. So probably what I'm going to be doing moving forward this year is maybe one or two podcasts a month, sometimes more, maybe sometimes less. Um, As I interview really great people, And as I have really great topics that I really want to put out there for you, instead of I just need to fill up four podcasts a week because that's what I'm told to do, if that makes sense. So I'm still excited to be here and to share with you. And if you have topic ideas, if you have guests that you want me to have on, I'm always willing to hear it. You know how to reach out to me on Instagram at The Muscle Maven. You can send me an email through my website at ashleyvanhouten.com. All of my Previous podcasts will always be available to you, and there's tons of great content there, as you know, I'm sure. But I just, uh, I just don't want to be um, so at the whim of the internet gods because you know how fickle they are. So instead, I'm just going to do what works for me and what I think is going to be valuable for you. So, case in point, today's episode was one that my basically co-host and business partner, Rachel Gregory and I decided we had to do because we were getting a lot of questions about this topic, uh, especially in our Muscle Science for Women program that we run. Uh, A lot of people were asking about intuitive eating. And so we thought, let's do a podcast so everyone can kind of have access to our thoughts and musings and guidance and information and recommendations. So that's what this episode is. We're talking about intuitive eating. We're talking about what the concept means, whether or not we even believe it's possible to eat intuitively in our modern food landscape that is so set up for us to eat mindlessly, to overeat, to eat what's delicious rather than what's good for us. Um, And some kind of specific questions around fasting and how to maybe do intuitive eating while also maybe losing fat or any other goal that you might have. So we kind of dig into this stuff um, pretty in depth. I really hope that it's beneficial and helpful for you. I would love your feedback as always. Um, And so that's it. So Rachel and I are digging into intuitive eating. I hope you enjoy it. I'm glad that you're here. And uh, that's it. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to both of our podcasts at once. (laughs) For the 10th time. Yeah, it's me, Ashley Van Houten, host of Muscle Maven Radio. And it's you, Rachel Gregory, host of Metflex and Chill. Welcome. Yeah. Welcome. All right. Here we are again. I'm actually a little out of practice. Uh, You may not have noticed that was so such a smooth intro, but I haven't been podcasting much because that's the best intro I've ever heard. (laughs) Thank you. I, I felt good about it. Um, but yeah, I haven't really been doing a whole lot of recording the last couple of months because I've been busy with other projects and you know, a baby, a baby. So, but I'm glad that we're back. And I think that this is a cool um, conversation that we could actually probably go down a lot of different rabbit holes. We'll see like how on 
topic we can stay for the next hour, but just to introduce it to people who are listening, we decided to do this joint podcast about intuitive eating because, you know, as a concept and then kind of drill down into a lot of questions that people tend to have about this practice. Um, and the reason we decided to do a podcast is because it was a topic that came up in our muscle science for women course that we are currently running. Um, and we do these live calls biweekly and it's just a, a sort of nutritional concept or practice that came up and people had a lot of questions and were like, this is something we should maybe cover a little bit more in depth and for everybody to, um, to hopefully benefit from. So we also put out like kind of a question box for our people. And we're like, you know, what kind of questions do you have about intuitive eating? We got a bunch. Um, so I'm excited to dive into it, but I was thinking maybe before we like dive into questions, it might be good if, and you can, you can do this for us, Rachel, if you can kind of just, oh boy. yeah, just sort of define it. I'll add to it if I can think of anything, but just like define what intuitive eating means, um, or what hopefully it, it should mean. Cause it's good. I think it's good for us yeah. to get like, I was going to ask you that question. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, we can both talk like, about it. Yeah. I think we should both talk about it, but I was going to be like, Cause I feel, okay. So maybe we can give the listeners a little background too, into both of our approaches to mm -hmm. eating or tr tracking or not tracking or whatever. And I feel like mm -hmm. we both kind of have similar, uh, opinions on, on certain things within tracking versus to eating things like that, which we're going to get into. But I feel like we both are at least at this point in time, kind of on the opposite end or not maybe opposite, but you know, I, I mean, I track religiously every single day just because i have been doing it for years Yikes. and no. <laughs> yeah no i know right and we can talk about it right no it's funny um, it's, it's true though like i think you and i tend to we pretty much always are sort of on the same side if you have to put it that way we just are kind of like maybe on different ends of the spectrum in terms of like if this is one opinion and this is the other we're usually sort of like in the middle together just sort of like on opposite you know what i mean like we're close yeah. but not we have enough yeah. kind of differences of opinion that it makes things interesting at least. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Cause right now, like, are you, are you tracking right now? No, I have not, okay. there we I, go. <laughs> I have not been tracking for years and years. Um, and as we talked and about, and I have been, so yeah, yeah. Yeah. And as we talked about with, um, with our group in muscle science for women, I mean, this is so, so, um, personal and bio individual, depending on your goals and who, you know, how you feel about tracking food or not tracking food. But, but it's interesting because the intuitive part is it's, I think the concept is that we ideally in a perfect world would like to get to a place where tracking isn't necessary, um, where a lot of attention to the rules of eating aren't necessary. And it's more about being able to really listen to your body, to your body's signals, to honor those and to eat in a way that isn't aligned with what your body really needs. Um, and that's something that sounds so nice. And in theory and in practice, it's like, um, who the hell can do that? And also what if my body intuitively tells me to eat a cake every night before I go to bed, you know, and that is yeah. a question that we get a lot. Right. Um, so it is a complicated thing. And I think one of the questions, like one of the most high level questions is like in our modern culture and world and fast food environment, is it possible to eat intuitively? Um, so what do you think of that? So my simple answer to that is I think that if you are choosing whole foods, had a face at some point, grown from the earth at some point, mm -hmm. those are your two categories, right? Just think about all the foods you're eating, what had a face at some point, what grew from the earth at some point, right? If those are the majority of your foods, like 90 plus percent, 95 plus percent even, 100 percent maybe, then I feel like it is hundred times easier to quote unquote eat intuitively versus if your foods are packaged foods, processed foods, all that jazz, which is a lot of the standard American diet, if you want to call it. Um, and so I think that's where people tend to get in a lot of trouble. Um, but then also realizing too, that like, it's not just about the, like, at least in my opinion, it's not just about the food itself. It's also about the psych psychology behind mm -hmm. how you react to certain foods and how also like your personality too. So like 
I think that's something that people have to realize, like where they're at on that spectrum of, you know, how much, first of all, control they have over, even if it's the amount of, even if it's, they're eating a hundred percent whole foods, like, can you actually, you know, eat, I don't know, sweet potatoes and, um, like stop at a certain point or like Mm -hmm. when you add things to the sweet potatoes that make it more, um, palatable. Don't so, put marshmallows <laughs> on your sweet potatoes. <laughs> sweet potatoes. Um, sorry, something. Okay. Sorry. Something just popped up on my computer. Um, so if you're eating just a plain boiled sweet potato, right. Versus eating a baked sweet potato that you put butter and maybe some cinnamon and, um, not butter, whatever else, nut butter and all that stuff on it to make it even more palatable. So your brain is literally like, wow, this is so good. I just want to eat more and more and more of it, obviously to a certain point versus if you're just eating a plain sweet potato with nothing on it, maybe a little bit of salt, that's going to be a different reaction in your brain too, right? In the way that you react to how satisfying that is or how delicious that is. Um, so like for me, if I'm just eating a plain sweet potato, like I'll probably stop at a certain point and be like, all right, I've had enough of this. It's also a one, it's a one macronutrient, uh, majority of a sweet potato is carbohydrates, right? And, and some fiber mm-hmm. versus when you take that sweet potato and you add a lot of fat to it, fats and carbs together, which increase that, um, that reward center, yeah. palatability and reward center in your brain tells you, Hey, let, let me eat more of this. Cause this is really good. Mm-hmm. So that is, I think, at least in my eyes, like a little bit of an, an issue when it comes to intuitive eating, because I would much rather track, okay, this is how much sweet potato I'm going to eat with this much nut butter and this much or butter and cinnamon and really enjoy that. But know, like, okay, I can only have this amount or else I'm going to go way overboard. Right. Versus having a plain sweet potato where I'm like, all right, like this is pretty good, but like, it's not that great. You know what I mean? But I can eat as much of it as I want. But I, yeah, because I know I'll stop at some point because it will be less attractive to my brain and my palate, if that makes sense. So here's my question for you. If you, if I told you right now, you can't track for the next six months, like tracking doesn't exist. You can't do it. You can't write it down. You can't put it into an app, nothing. How would you feel? How would that change how you eat? Would you be worried? Um, Like, how would you feel moving forward? So for me personally, because I feel like I have so much education and awareness around the, like how much food I'm eating and my, like I've gone through a period of time, a long period of time of tracking and being aware of like, okay, this is how much four ounces of chicken looks like. This is how much, you know, a hundred grams of sweet potato looks like because I've weighed and measured it for years. I actually wouldn't be that concerned. I'd be like, all right, like I've been doing this for a while. Like I have that muscle memory to know, like if I can't track, if I don't have this app, I don't have these numbers. I kind of know in my head already, all right, this is how much this looks like. And if I, so, so I could, could because I have the knowledge and the awareness and the education because I've been doing it for so long, I feel like I would be okay versus someone who doesn't really know portion sizes, doesn't really know like how much protein is in this food or, or in this amount of food or how much carbs or fats or whatever it is. Um, I think that is where tracking, and that's why I personally think that tracking is such a great tool for anybody, even if they only do it for a certain period of time and then they like stop doing it and then Mm -hmm. they go to maybe intuitive eating Um, because they've built up that, that, that knowledge. Just kind of think about it like training. Like Mm -hmm. when you go train, when you go squat for the first time, you're probably wobbling all over the place. Like, feeling really awkward, like really unstable, because if you put a barbell on your back or whatever, and you like, you've never squatted before, you just don't have that muscle memory and that pattern in your brain, the more you do it, the easier it gets. Right. Um, I feel like that's this similar concept to tracking your food and your portion sizes. And the last thing I'll say on this before I let you talk, cause I'm rambling is I think that a lot of people also don't realize how much we actually eat. Mm-hmm. Like, and this is a conversation I had with one or of my for clients. for women, last how little week. they eat. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. But I had this conversation with the client last week where we were talking about, I was like, all right, like, I think that your maintenance is probably around 2,200 to 2,400 calories just based off some calculations I did, her body weight, her height, all that jazz. And she was like, oh, no, like, that's way too much, right? And we haven't been losing any weight or anything on the amount of calories she's eating. But I'm like, all right, let's think about it for a second 
there is the the foods that we're eating, like the calorie density of some of the foods that we're eating, like a table, like nut butter or nuts and seeds. The amount that you eat for the calories that are in that is so small that people don't really realize it. And then when you go out to a restaurant and you eat a meal, people don't realize that most restaurant meals are probably a thousand plus calories. Like even if you're choosing a healthy choice, because that restaurant doesn't care about your macros, that restaurant doesn't care about your calories. They care about making your food taste good. So they're going to add fats, even if it's healthy fats to that food. Typically it's not that healthy fats, depending on what restaurant you go to. Um, but you're not even going to realize that. So like, an, like going out to dinner, you're easily going to smash like 800 calories of a, of a meal and don't even count the wine and the alcohol mm -hmm. and then the, the, the bites of the dessert. Right. So I, that's something that I think a lot of people underestimate how much they are actually eating for one side of things. And then there are people who underestimate or overestimate, mm -hmm. but I feel like just from my experience, I've had more of the underestimate. So, okay, now I'm going to shut up because you haven't talked yet. Well, before <laughs> I actually, before I get into some uh, questions that are like more specific to like people who like sent in questions, I do kind of want to come back and challenge you again with something, which is, you know, you've said, and rightly so, and this is why I go on and off tracking and I mostly don't track and I sometimes do track is I've got my reps in. I've been doing this for so long. I know what portion sizes look like. I know how much food I'm supposed to be eating, all of this stuff. It's quite intuitive to a certain degree for me now. Um, so I don't need to. So my question for you is, since you have this so down and you're much more disciplined than I am at this point, why, why are you still tracking? You don't need to. So why are you doing yeah. it? Like, like you go, if you go on vacation for a week, you won't track. And like, that makes sense. Cause who the hell wants to do that? That's not fun. Like, and you know, you're going to be drinking, you're going to be off plan. The whole point is that you don't want to obsess over those calories. Cause they don't matter. It's like, it's a week you're having fun. You're a very like disciplined, consistent person. The point is that a week off should be a week off and you should enjoy it. But like for the next month, why, why wouldn't you challenge yourself to just not track, you know, exactly how to eat. So why do you still do it every day? Yeah, that's a great question. And I would oh. say that like, yeah, no, it's a great question, <laughs> but I have a great answer. Okay. All right. <laughs> or Let's I can see. defend myself. So like you said, when I, I used to like kind of back a few years ago, I, when I went on vacation, I used to kind of get caught up on the tracking. Like I was in a, in a place where some people are at where it's like, it's either all or nothing. It's not like, okay, you know, there's, you can have a little bit of, of both the best of both worlds. So like now, nowadays, like when I go on vacation, at least the last two years, I don't track. Um, I pay attention to, unless I have a very, very specific goal and I'm like close to that end end line of that goal, then okay. Yeah. That's a different scenario. But in general, I'm going, you know, on vacation or even like Saturday night dinners. Like I don't typically track those, you know, if I go out to dinner at a restaurant every, every week, my main thing with tracking is for me, it helps me to focus in on some different data points that I might be focused in on for a certain period of time. So like, for example, right now, I'm really paying attention to my pre and my post-workout nutrition because I really want to optimize my gym performance for where I'm at right now. And so tracking, and, and this is also something like, I don't typically track every day, I guess you could say, because for me, it's like I plan my Monday out like for food. And then I just eat pretty much the same thing mm -hmm. throughout the week. So like, even though I'm technically like have that in my tracker, I literally just copy the day over. And maybe if I change some things, like I'll be able to change those in there. Um, but sometimes it's like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, all look pretty much the same. So I'm only just like planning out Monday. Um, especially if I'm like trying out a new recipe for dinner or something like that. Um, but typically like the reason that I like to track, cause I like to, I'm like such a data nerd and I just want to see the really? numbers. Like, I, I didn't see know that about you. <laughs> I want to see like how much protein I had, how many carbs I had, like in my pre-workout, my post-workout, um, and you know, what, you know, what I had like for my dessert, whatever dinner, I just want to have like a record of that. So I would say like, yeah, I do track every day, but it's, you could even say it's only once a week, mm -hmm. um, because it's like, I put it on repeat. And then, like I said, on Saturdays, I, I typically have like a, a bigger meal and I don't really track that going out to dinner. Cause I don't want to like stress about that. I have an idea in my head. And then Sundays I typically pull back a little bit and do more like of a fasting type day because I want to balance out the weekend a little bit. And Sundays I, it's my rest day. I don't really do much. So, mm -hmm. um, that's kind of what works for me, but everybody's so different. So yeah. that would be my answer to that's a, good, that's a good answer. I mean, I think the biggest thing is that you are a professional and you like 
data and information and experimenting and this is data for you and it's it's mm-hmm. interesting and it's a learning experience i think for a lot of people it's super stressful and it's obsessive and sometimes it can get difficult for people to know where the line is between this is a helpful tool and this is a anxiety inducing like it's bad it's not helping me um and so that's something i want people to pay attention to and we can talk a little bit more about that as we get into the questions but i think just to kind of like round out sort of how we feel about these things i think we both agree that tracking can be a very useful tool um i think we agree although i may be more erring on the side of not tracking that it should be a temporary one for most people temporary and or intermittent, like you touched on a good point, And we talked about this in the call that like tracking can look so different. It can be journaling what you ate and looking at it and paying attention to how it made you feel and your energy the next day and your digestion. It can be meticulously tracking in an app. It can be tracking for three months while you're doing a lean out phase and then not tracking for six months while you're um, doing a building phase. It can be tracking twice a week just to kind of touch touch base every now and like there's so many different ways you can do it. So you have sort of the freedom and flexibility to, if you believe that it will be a helpful tool for you to find a way that it can work to your advantage instead of add stress or anxiety to your life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I mean, I only use tracking when I have a very specific goal for a short period of time. And usually that is like a fat loss goal. So if I'm going to do a photo shoot, if I'm going to do a bodybuilding competition, none of this stuff has been on the horizon for some time. Um, But when those things were happening, I certainly tracked because again, it's data, it's information. And when you have to be, when you have to be, and I say have to, I chose to, it's a goal that I chose to follow, but to do that successfully, you have to be really on top of your energy balance and how much food you're eating and how much you're working out and all of those things. And when we're talking about the differences between, you know, losing a couple pounds and being quite lean or, you know, every little bit matters. So not paying attention and having like the rounded spoon of peanut butter instead of the flat scoop, you know, that stuff is going to add up for the vast majority of people. That stuff isn't as important, like generally over the long term. So getting to a place where you can just eyeball things or where you can not track because you don't feel like it and not go into a spiral of anxiety, like those are goals that I think are really important to work towards because, um, you know, for every person who kind of likes it, cause it's like a math numbers kind of interesting thing. There are people who are like, I have to do this. Cause if not, I have no control over what I eat and I'm going to gain a bunch of weight and it's going to be miserable, you know, and nobody really wants mm-hmm. to live like that. Um, so I do think it's important to kind of teach, teach that these are tools. Um, they are not, they have no direct bearing on your intelligence or abilities or willpower, any of those things. It's just something that's available to you to help you if you need it. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, but anyway, we got some good questions and I want to pull some of them up now so that we can bring this in a couple different directions. Um, Okay. One question that I thought was interesting is someone asked, how can I tell, because we're talking about intuitive eating being like eating what you want to eat when you want to eat it generally. How can I tell if the cravings that I'm feeling are my cravings or my microbes or like microbiome or my, you know, gut bacteria? Um, And I thought that was kind of interesting, but my first initial reaction to that was like, what's the difference? You know, because you're we're just like walking hosts for bacteria anyway. Right. And Mm -hmm. our gut microbiome, our, our, you know, bacteria that is us. Right. So if something that's going on in your gut is telling you, you need to eat this or you need to eat that, does it really matter if it's your, like your body or your, your bacteria telling you like either way, you kind of want to figure out what the like genesis of that craving is and address that, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's kind of my initial thought. What do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, I would probably say the same thing. I think with cravings, at least from my experience personally, and like working with, with clients is like the craving side of things. When I think of the word craving, I think of 
more psychological and more like, okay, what's going on right now? Like what stressor just happened that you now are having this craving for something else? Or yes, maybe you're deficient in a certain nutrient and maybe that's triggering you to want more salty foods or sweet foods or something like that. Right. Uh, maybe that relates more to like the microbiome mm -hmm. type thing. But I mean, I agree with what you said. Like, I think that it doesn't, I think that's the wrong place to be focusing on. Right. It's more so focusing on like, all right, if I want to transition to new intuitive eating, like how do I go about doing that in the most productive way? Mm -hmm. And what is the best kind of route to take? And I, and I already talked about that a little bit too, which might be helpful to talk about on, because mm -hmm. we talked about that in our muscle and form program, um, might be helpful to, to give some tips, like how we would recommend that um, here, but yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think like if somebody's worried, like, oh, maybe this is like my weird gut bacteria telling me to eat chips or whatever, like <laughs> if that is a concern you have, I mean, an, a, a response that I always have to anybody who has any concerns about gut health is like, well, let's work on, on sorting your gut health out because if your digestion is on point, then your, your bacteria is probably going to be telling you to eat the right thing. Right. So, yeah. um, if you are concerned about gut health issues, if you feel gassy when you eat, if your digestion isn't great, if, you know, you get bloated every time you eat something like all of these things, like that's a whole different, um, podcast and topic. And I know, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think I have some maybe in the archives about like gut health and stuff, and we can direct people to people to learn more about that. But I think that if we should all always be focusing on optimizing our gut health through, things like eating the right food, eating food that agrees with us, um, digestive support through like probiotics, digestive enzymes, things like that, um, getting good sleep, managing our stress, like all the things we tell everybody to do for every reason will also <laughs> support your gut health. And then you don't have to worry about your bacteria trying to sabotage you because they'll <laughs> be on board with whatever you're trying to do. Yeah, mm -hmm. no, 100%. And I think one of the like, and we talk about this with the nutrition, we talk about this with training all the time, just overall, like focusing on the big things, like the big things that actually make the most difference, which we don't think because they're not like the cool things or the sexy things, like the probiotics and the digestive enzymes, those absolutely can have their place. But like, like you said, the stress or just like, okay, I'm continuously bloated after my meals. Like, what am I doing? Like, think back, what am I doing when I'm eating that meal? What am I doing before that meal? Um, versus really like versus just focusing on the food. Cause I think mm -hmm. that's something people get wrong too. Not wrong, but they get so caught up on the, actually like the type of food are like the, like dairy's messing me up, but like, Oh, I'm eating this tub of Greek yogurt while I'm on the phone, scrolling through social media, standing up, like walking to something. My kids are yelling at me. Haven't all had a drink stuff of water in six hours. Yeah, like, yeah. Like all of this stuff that's going on, or like, I'm just like scarfing it down, not even like chewing it or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I think those are a lot of the big rocks that people tend to like miss because it's like, some it's, it's common sense, but like people don't Mm -hmm. necessarily pay attention to it. I, I, I'm super guilty of this as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think those are things that, you know, tend to be the, the big things that people miss out on. Right. And, and it's like the simplest things. That's a really actually another good, like lead in into how to, if people are interested in trying this intuitive eating approach, the eating environment is and your behaviors are a huge part of it it's not just oh well if i eat healthy food my body will only crave healthy food and then i'll never you know eat an entire <laughs> chocolate bar in one sitting ever again or whatever it's like yeah if you are constantly distracted while you eat if you are stressed out all the time if you're eating standing up hunched over the sink while you're you know hiding from your partner or something i don't know whatever all the things that we're all guilty <laughs> of doing like yeah. that that's not intuitive eating, right? That's like, I don't know, maybe that's survival eating. Maybe that's um, comfort eating. There's all kinds of mm -hmm. ways that we eat that isn't ideal. But if you're not looking at your food, smelling your food, chewing your food, tasting your food, slowing down, enjoying it, sharing it with people, like all of those things that we ideally would love to have around the eating experience, like, yeah, it's going to be hard to listen to your body and know what it wants when we're, you know, again, watching like murder, true crime on Netflix and shoving down whatever's in front of us, right? And not looking at it. Like, again, you can tell we're both guilty of this in different <laughs> ways, but 
but this is, this is the kind of stuff to start thinking about. And you don't have to be perfect Mm -hmm. tomorrow. Like none of us are. It's the same with like trying to improve your sleep hygiene and your sleep environment. It's like, just practice things. Like if you don't want to be so beholden to your tracking app, or if you don't want to be so at the whim of your cravings, start thinking about this environment and practice around eating, start thinking about sitting down and putting your phone somewhere else and looking at your food and taking a deep breath before you eat and all that stuff. It it sounds a little bit like over the top, but it really, it might actually really improve your experience and also things like your digestion because you're Mm -hmm. actually paying attention to and thinking about what you're eating. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, I think all those things were made a lot of sense. I think I do want to hit on just some tips because I know like if I were listening to this podcast, like, and I saw like intuitive eating, which I'm sure we're going to probably call it something like that. I'd be like, all right, well, like I've been tracking for a while and I'm looking to transition into a meeting. How do I do that? Mm -hmm. Like, what are some tips for that? Um, I know we talked about this before and I can give like just a few tips and maybe you can give some tips and we can just kind of like talk about a few of those. Cause I think that's one of the, like the transition part is the scariest part for a Mm -hmm. lot of people. Um, and I think at least when I'm working with clients, the biggest thing that I recommend is taking it in, like not taking that all or nothing approach. Right. It's like, okay, I've been tracking, seven days a week, you know, for a year. And I want to now, like I've, maybe I was in a fat loss phase and I've now hit maintenance and I've been at maintenance for a while and I've kind of, you know, re-solidified maybe my new maintenance or whatever it is. And now I want to start intuitively eating. I think that at least my approach is to take it in chunks. So like start off by, okay, taking, you know, one meal, out of tracking and just eat what you usually eat. Don't track it. Um, or just eat how you would eat if you were tracking for a day and do that and see how it is and maybe track afterwards just to kind of see if you're on point there. Um, you know, taking like I, I did, you know, being aware of, you know, if you're going away and you want to enjoy that vacation, like just being super mindful of your choices, um, versus getting very diligent on, or very specific on getting caught up in the numbers and things like that. Um, I did, I recorded a podcast on like the different tiers of tracking. And so I like to reverse back through those. So like, if you've been tracking all of the macros and calories for a while, okay, why don't we just track protein and overall calories and see where we're at there? Because we know protein is very, very important. Um, and then, okay, let's maybe, maybe we do that five days a week and other two days of the week, we're just intuitive. Right. Um, so it's kind of just like working your way back. And then eventually you can get to a point where it's like, all right, I'm just eating, you know, normally how I I did for the last year, I might just, might just not be tracking it. Right. Um, and then like you said, every once in a while, and we talked about this every once in a while, go back and track like, okay, two weeks, um, I've been eating pretty, you know, how I've been, you know, normally eating. And then maybe I'll go back and track one day just to kind of test where I'm at. Right. Um, and then just continue on. So those are, I think the biggest, I know I'm kind of rambling on here, but the biggest takeaway from that is just like, doesn't have to be all or nothing. And I yeah. think that the the best approach is not going from tracking every day for a year to not tracking at all. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, how do I work my way back? to this or how do I work my way to this and do it in a way that's smart and strategic so that I have control, right? And so that I feel in control and so that I'm not, you know, ending up where I was two years ago or something like that. Mm-hmm. So that would be a few tips that I that I think. Yeah, I like that. I think that's very good advice. Um, I mean, this isn't really advice so much as just sort of something to consider because it's an experience that I went through in the last couple of years when I um, you know, was the opposite of paying attention to my diet for the first time in my life, because similar to you, like I've all, I've always had fitness goals. I've been in this industry for a while. I usually pay pretty close attention to what I eat. And when I got pregnant and then, you know, I'm still in this postpartum breastfeeding period and all that stuff, all of it went out the window on purpose. Um, because I knew that it was not necessary or probably in my best interest to track calories um, because I didn't know what my new body doing all of this work would necessarily need. I just knew it needed more. And um, I also knew that it was like the only time in my life that probably intuitive eating would come quite easily to me because your body just like the hormones and the cravings and the things it's telling you to do or not do, it's it sends very strong signals. So I was like, 
this is the time to not be paying attention to how much I'm eating, what I'm eating, whatever. Like I'm still going to obviously eat healthy food, but like, I don't give a shit how many carbs I'm eating. I don't care how many calories. It doesn't matter. And what was really cool for me was, um, realizing that it's like getting rid of this fatalist, this fatalist perspective around if I do let go of control and the tight rules I have around what I think I should be eating, is the world going to fall apart? And a lot of people think it will. And sometimes, you know, depending on our relationship with food, it can, but in a lot of cases, it's just not as bad as you think it's, it's going to be right. Um, and so I encourage people to, and I know there's a lot of anxieties and I know that there's a lot of fear around giving up control, but I do encourage people to maybe even do some like negative visualization. It's like, if your tracking was gone and you couldn't do it, like what would happen to your life? Like, would you fall into a pit of despair and say, well, because I'm not tracking calories don't matter. I'm going to go eat five bags of chips. Like Maybe, but like, probably not, probably you mm -hmm. can still kind of figure out some other, um, tools or behaviors or, you know, things that you could put into your daily life that would like help you create some routine and control and feel good and all of those things. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, just for me realizing, like for somebody who did pay so much attention and who did kind of think like, oh, if I ever went off the rails, like it would be bad. I'd just keep rolling and rolling. And then it would be a nightmare. And it's yeah. like, it, it really isn't like, it's fine. You're fine. You're going to still mm -hmm. eat healthy food and maybe you gain a couple pounds. And like, is that also the end of the world? It probably isn't. And like, mm -hmm. just, so just like letting go a little bit of that fear. I think we just have so much fear around losing control. And maybe if we just let ourselves like experiment with it, just dip your toe into that less control and see how it feels and be a little uncomfortable with it. And mm -hmm. like, maybe if you do it and you play with it a little bit, you'll realize that maybe it's not so bad and maybe you don't have to hold on so tightly. And, um, so yeah, because I'm just, yeah. I guess I just, I just realized I'm like, life is as much as, you know, I write whole books about like what I think people should eat, but I also yeah. am just like, at the end of the day, like life is short. You got to do what makes you feel good. I don't want to look back at my life and think like, I was so worried about every calorie. And I was so worried about what my, who would I be if I was five pounds heavier? And it's like, who cares? Enjoy your life, be strong, mm -hmm. eat food, do things that make you feel good and try not to worry about that stuff too much because it just, it doesn't, doesn't matter mm -hmm. as much as you think it does. Yeah, I want it. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, I, I want to, I deep. want you to keep talking. Yeah, I know. I was like, I want you to keep talking. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm, in, I'm into it. Um, but something that I did think about that's a, like, I want to just kind of make sure that this is, this is said too. And this is a mistake that I made. It's, I think people are introduced to tracking when they do start, when they do have a fat loss goal, right. Um, or a weight loss goal. And so they, they pick up tracking, they learn tracking within that fat loss goal and they maybe achieve that result. And then when they get to their goal, their end goal, they're like, oh, okay, I'm, I made it. I'm here. So I'm just going to stop tracking mm -hmm. that I feel is a mistake in itself because then that's when you have that that kind of switch where it's like, okay, so I can stop tracking. And then maybe you do start to eat some other foods that you weren't eating when you were in the fat loss phase. Cause you're like, okay, I hit my goal. So now I can kind of eat a little bit more of this and maybe a few more licks of this. And I'm not going to, I'm going to stop measuring my peanut butter and things like that. And then they start to add up and then you start to actually get back into a surplus. And so you gain the weight back and then you're back of what I just want. I just want to know what peanut butter, <laughs> licks, peanut butter. I don't know. Sorry. I had to interrupt. Licks, I'm, I'm nibbles. trying to be cute. I'm okay. trying to be funny. No, anyway. you're good. I, I call them, uh, licks, L N's and B's licks, nibbles and bites that I you like, you know, okay. Um, it. so then you get to the point where like, Oh crap. Like I stopped tracking and I went to intuitive eating and then I gained all the weight back. And then that's where we start again. And then we have the fear of like, oh man, like I can never do that again. Right. What if you hit your fat loss goal and now instead of stop tracking, you continue to track for a few months till you really balance out into that maintenance. Right. And you really find a spot where you feel super comfortable and you've hit your goal, but you've been able to maintain your goal. Cause that's the hardest part of fat loss is actually the maintenance part afterwards. So really the diet part of things, I don't, and this is something that I've really had a, a lot of different perspectives on. It's like the diet doesn't end when you hit your fat loss goal. The diet ends 
six months later when you've been able to maintain that for six months. And then it's like, all right, let's start to, to now I have all these habits built, these different food habits maybe that I didn't have before in terms of really focusing on those whole foods, those nutrition foods. So I'm really intuitive with that. And that's part of like, that's what I crave now because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm over the, you know, the process package chips and things like that, maybe once in a while, whatever. But like, that's not part of my everyday. I don't have that in my house, in my environment. Right. So now it's like, okay, I've been able to maintain this for a while. So now I'm going to start with it. Like we said, with the intuitive eating and maybe stop, I don't track one meal or I don't track one day of the week. And I kind of trickle that back down, or I start to just track protein and things like that. Because then you've kind of built up this, not only the confidence in, in being able to maintain the results you've gotten, but you've still, but now you have more of a idea of those portion sizes that maybe you're consuming now at maintenance that maybe were a little bit smaller during your fat loss phase, right? Because we know that when you're in a fat loss phase, you're in a deficit, right? You're consuming less calories than you, than you need to maintain. So we know that if you're looking to maintain now, you're going to increase, like we need to increase your calories a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's one of the mistakes that a lot of people make is that they stop tracking right when they hit their goal versus stop tracking after they've been at maintenance for a while and they can kind of solidify that goal. And then, then that's where the magic happens, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're not going to rebound. You're not going to, you know, be like, Oh, I'm at maintenance. I'll hit my goal. So I can have this. Now I can start bringing chips into the house or ice cream into the house and pray that I don't think about it at 11 o'clock at night when I'm watching Netflix or even <laughs> and it's calling do, my name from their freezer. Or if you do rebound or like, you know, fall off the wagon or whatever you want to call it, you can catch yourself quicker and it doesn't have to be this vicious cycle of, yeah, I'm so, so strict. I'm eating like it's my last day on earth. And then I feel like shit yes. and I'm doing this again. And I'm doing that again. It can just be like, most people are like this. Most people are like, Oh, I'm kind of on a roll. And then I go on vacation for four days. And then I'm like on a roll again. And then I do this and then I do that. Like that's, that's what life is life. Mm-hmm. Ideally, that's what life is. It isn't like I am the most strict person in the world forever. And like, Oh, I go on a bender for a week and it's like a nightmare. And you know, yeah, some people might like yeah. to live like that. That's a whirlwind for me. I'm not sure if I'm into it, but, um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So here's a question. So how to trust that your body knows what it needs and is telling you what it actually needs and what it wants, because this person, and we can all relate to this says, sometimes my intuition tells me to eat three pieces of cake. Is my body Mm -hmm. telling me the right thing or what? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm just going to say that's where I think the intuitive side of intuitive eating can be a little misleading in that Mm -hmm. regard because Mm -hmm. like my in and and how you define it too right um because like and and the way that our environment is right now and our food industry is right now like the way that they manufacture these foods to be so hyper palatable and literally change our brain's chemistry to want to eat more of them when we start to eat them, right? Like mm-hmm. Cheetos or like Doritos. I don't know why I'm thinking of all those Cheetos, Doritos. Cookies, There's cookies, this cookies, cookies, cookies. Yeah, cookies. everything. Yeah. And it, and um, I think that's just like something that, again, it goes back to what I said in the beginning. Like if you're eating 100%, 95% whole foods most of your like week, that's what your, your diet is. And I think it's a lot easier to intuitively intuitively eat versus if you have chocolate cake sitting on your counter every single night like i'm gonna eat that chocolate cake sitting on my counter yeah (laughs) i mean one thing i i want people to hear explicitly because i think sometimes people still feel like it's like they're alone it's just them and they're the only one who sucks and doesn't have willpower like i will never I will never be somebody who can eat one piece of a chocolate bar or even really one cookie. I will never be that person. And I don't think that I've ever had like diagnosed like binge eating issues or anything like that. But when I was in my like bodybuilding, like eating much stricter phases and I was restricting and I was having whole categories of food that I wasn't allowed to eat until I would, I will eat really unhealthy amounts of that food. And I could eat healthy, like 
good nourishing the way I'm doing now without tracking, without being restrictive. And I could still have a lot of problems regulating that kind of food. I will always be like that. It doesn't healthy people who know better still overeat that shit. Everybody eats that stuff because it's because it is created to make your brain want to do that. So, um, I understand that feeling. I know what it's like and no one should feel like they alone are the person who just can't handle themselves around it or doesn't have the willpower who just isn't strong enough. Like most of us are not strong enough. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, some people are like, oh, if you eat intuitively long enough and if you really nourish your body, you'll get to a place where you can have a box of cookies open in the house. And yes, there will be some like moderators, right? Right. There there will be some people who are like that. And there will be some people who are never like that. And it's hard to reconcile that with, um, what seems like an overly restrictive approach to life. Like if I tell somebody I can't have cookies in the house, cause I'll eat that box in 24 hours. I can't, I can't not do it. That may sound like, Oh, well that kind of sucks. Like you're, you can't, you can't just sort of enjoy foods moderately. And I'm like, I still do. Don't get me wrong. I just don't have it within arm's reach all the time. Like I figured mm-hmm. out a way to incorporate it into my life so that I enjoy it. And that's so that it isn't controlling my life. You need to figure out your way for some people. It's okay. I can have chocolate in the house, but I can't have chips. Or for yeah. some people it's, I'm going to have my Saturday meal where I eat whatever the hell and I don't worry about it and it's fine. But then I don't do that for the rest of the week. Like we're all going to have different ways of coping with our current hyperpalatable food landscape. But I think that's what it is. I think pretending that it just goes away when you start eating healthy, that's not realistic for most people. It just isn't like I can mm-hmm. eat, I can eat amazingly, perfectly, wonderfully healthy. And I will still just run through a cake if it's in front of me. So, um, I think people having a more realistic perspective on that and being able to sort of pick your battles. Um, and one other thing I'll say about like the, the tendency to like overeat, um, hyper palatable foods. I think one of the things that was a bad trigger for me was when I was in the headspace of this food is wrong and bad. Mm. Like it was sort of like a a morally bad thing that I didn't like want to think people knew that I was eating it or something. When you know that it's bad, you're going to do it in secret. You're going to eat it when no one's like looking or paying attention. And that's when you're going to overeat it. Like when I could get to a point where I'm like, this is how I like to eat, but every once in a while I'm going to crush some of this food and I'm not going to feel guilty or bad or like I'm weak or whatever. It'll be there tomorrow. If I want to eat it, I don't have to eat it all right now because I'm an adult and I can go buy some more tomorrow if I want to. Like when I had a little bit more of this like balanced attitude towards it, it had less of a hold over me. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's another thing to think about too. Like if you're listening to this, chances are you're an adult who can go buy that Easter candy anytime you want and eat it all in yeah. a city if you want to. So like, you don't have to go like secretly binge it tomorrow and then never tell anybody and whatever. Like you can yeah. just go get some if you want or not, you know? Um, again, it's like this fatalistic attitude towards food that like you're either perfect or you're the worst and you might as well just yeah. give up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's two things I want to say there. The first thing I want to say is that sometimes like there's probably some people listening to this podcast who are like, well, I like, I live with a bunch of people in my house and like there's food, you know, there. And so what do I do in that situation? And so that is where I think, you know, really kind of diving deep into, you know, maybe if you've never tracked before, maybe you do start to pay attention more to that. Or maybe you start to have the conversation with the people you live with who are like, all right, you know, at least out, like put it out of sight, out of mind. So like, I don't know where it is or it's not staring me in the face or whatever. That's something that everybody has those different situations. And those are things that you have to realistic, realistically work through and really have that conversation, whether it's with your significant other, or if you're, you know, buying certain foods for your kids and you're like, Oh, well, like my kids can have it. Cause they're young and they're running around and stuff like that. But like when it's in the house or when I'm preparing it for them, like I take that that lick nibble and bite. And then those add up over the course of the day. And then when they're asleep at night and it's 11 o'clock and I'm having those nighttime cravings, I go to the cabinet and have, you know, some of the kids, whatever chips and whatever, that is a conversation and something that you have to really start to be aware of. And like, okay, maybe you stop buying those foods for your kids and you, you swap things out and realize that like those hyperpalatable foods, even though they're kids and they're running around and you know, that's fine. Maybe it's something that's a treat or a once in a while thing. Maybe it's not something that's in your environment every single day. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, the other thing is you were talking about kind of 
what I like to call the scarcity mindset. This is something that I struggled with for a while. Um, like years ago when I would, you know, be super on point and then I would go to uh, an event and there'd be like a buffet or I'd go to like a friend's house for dinner and there'd be a bunch of desserts and things like that. And I'd have that scarcity mindset. I was like, oh man, like I never have this. So like, I'm going to eat all the cookies. I'm going to eat all this and all that. I'm going to get like five plates at the buffet because I have that, that mindset, like this is the only time it's going to be here. Mm -hmm. And so that for me, the thing that got me past that, and I, I will say like, sometimes I definitely revert and like there's, you know, during the holidays, you know, all that jazz, but the awareness piece of that and the mindset and really, really working on the mindset side of things and like doing meditation and shit that like I would never have done in the past that helped me to become so much more aware of that. And then thinking through that, like, okay, I'm going to this buffet, this food is here. I could literally go and buy this any day of the week that I wanted to at the grocery store. Mm -hmm. Like I can go buy a, a box of cookies whenever I want. I don't need to eat the whole box or plate of cookies at this buffet. And so having switching that scarcity mindset to like the abundance mindset and like, okay, I can have this whenever I want. Then it's like, it flipped that switch for me. It was like, I'm not going to go eat this thing of cookies. Cause I know I'm going to feel like shit afterwards from both a physical and a mental standpoint. Mm -hmm. So that is where putting the work in for the mindset and the, the personal, uh, like the, I was gonna say personal development, but like the mindset side of things and the awareness side of things, that might be the place where you need to start working on versus focusing on macros, like start focusing on where your mind's at, yeah. start focusing on your awareness, because then that's going to build the good habits and build, build, you know, that, or take you away from that scarcity mindset. Mm -hmm. So rambles over. <laughs> no, I love it. I think again, we're both very much on the same page with that. And I think yeah. it's good that people know, like, not like either of us ever pretend or try to portray ourselves as perfect at all, but like, we've all been there and we've all experienced all of these things. Nobody's unique or above it. Um, and it just takes a lot of self-work, right? Like you said, reflection and meditation and thoughtfulness and experimentation and being like good to yourself and giving yourself a break and like all of these things. It's a yeah. process. Um, I have one more question that I think we should cover. And then maybe if there's some other stuff we do, um, like a part two, but I thought this would be mm -hmm. useful is, um, the question was how to start um, listening to or recognizing hunger signals. If you are deciding to try this intuitive or just eating on your own when you have tracked for a really long time. Um, and it's interesting that I think we can expand on what we talked about in the muscle science for women program, because we did talk about this. It it's sort of linked to fasting a little bit. And maybe that's another, another podcast because we do get a lot of questions still in the like cohorts about like fasting and whether it's good for women women who are strength building, all of those things. Um, but one of the kind of interesting things that came out of that conversation, because a lot of people in, in our health world that talk about fasting or intuitive eating, or just like eating real foods, there's very much this like narrative of when you're hungry, when you're really hungry, eat and otherwise don't, and you'll know it when it comes and all that stuff. And I feel like a lot of women hear that and think like, that doesn't sound like me. Like, I don't actually know when I'm really hungry or if I decide to fast or wait until I'm really hungry and then I'm starving and then I overeat and it's this. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of confusion around, again, it sounds simple, like when you're hungry, eat, but it's not always that simple. And so one yeah. of the things that we were advising was for some people, waiting until you're hungry isn't actually always the best plan. And the answer isn't the reverse, isn't to force feed and eat when you're not hungry. It's to maybe have a, um, a more like set schedule of eating times. And again, that's like not popular in the like intuitive eating world of like, you don't have to have three meals a day. And like, no, you don't, mm -hmm. you could have one or five or two or whatever, however many you want, but like set it up to make sure you are nourishing yourself. Because a lot of times if women, especially, I think, maybe it's because of the hormonal complexity. Like if we wait too long, we may get hangry. We may, um, overeat. We may skip eating all, all together. And we're like losing our hunger signals. And then we're under eating. Like there's a lot of things that mm -hmm. could potentially be problematic there. So there's nothing wrong with, um, you know, like I eat breakfast. I love breakfast. I eat breakfast. I'm usually hungry, um, in the morning, but I have found again through like the last couple the last couple of years with all the other things going on in my life, 
I still eat breakfast, even if I don't wake up ravenous, because I know that my day's about to get busy. I know that I'm going to be hungry. I know that I'm going to need energy to get through to the next meal. So even if I'm not starving, I go downstairs and that's part of my routine. I make my breakfast, nice, like high protein breakfast and I eat it and I feel good. And I'm not trying to force a huge breakfast. I'm not trying to, you know, um, but that works for me. And then I know I always have this one good, healthy, high protein meal down the hatch, no matter what happens for the rest of the day. So again, rambling answer, but I think one thing for people who are like, I'm worried about like, how do I know when I'm hungry? How do I listen to my hunger? Um, like symptoms or signals, like maybe one way to ease into it, as you were saying, like, you don't have to go zero to a hundred, but one way to ease into it would be like, when you were tracking, were you eating three meals a day, stick with those three meals a day at the same time, pay attention. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're not starving. Maybe, you know, maybe you are, maybe you realize after a couple of weeks that you could push that breakfast a little bit because you're not hungry yet. Or maybe you, you know, you want to fast and you eat dinner at 3 PM someday, like you can figure it out, but like have some plans in place. Don't just try to wing it after the fact that you're scrambling and stressed out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that I totally like forgot to mention that as one of the strategies that I use as well is the meal timing and like being consistent with that. Cause we did talk about that and most signs from, and like our literally our hunger signals and our circadian rhythm mm. starts to align with our meal timing. So if we can get consistent with those, like if you, like you said, you eat three meals a day, maybe you have two snacks, do that, continue doing that, but make it consistent day to day. Don't eat two meals today four meals tomorrow, go back and forth, eat at nine o'clock in the morning and then one o'clock, you know, the next day, stay consistent with that. Right. Even if that's not, even if that means eating breakfast or for me, it's, I like to have my coffee and then I eat breakfast around like 10 ish, but it's, it doesn't have to be like, okay, it's 10 Oh one crap. I need to go eat. It's yeah. like, all right, maybe you have some, like for, for me, I, I recommend like ballparks of times from, so like between, you know, a half an hour, an hour period between eight and nine, 12 and one, five and six, eight and nine at night mm-hmm. is your nighttime snack. It doesn't have to be like, Oh my God, it's 10 one. I have to yeah. eat right away. But if you're going back and forth each day, your body is like, the signals are going to be a little bit screwed up because your circadian rhythm is not just your sleep cycle. It's also your feeding cycle. Right. And so your body gets accustomed to that. And so that's a huge tip, you know, in terms of if you're looking to, to go to, in, towards intuitive eating, that could be just one thing you do focus on eating at the same time every day and stay mm-hmm. consistent. Um, cause your body's going to start to, to, you know, recognize that and it's going to make that easier. So yeah. Yeah. I like it. I mean, I think just to kind of close the loop on this conversation, and I, of course, as always, would love for anybody who's listening to, if you think we didn't answer your questions, if you have more questions now, like, you know, reach out to us. That's the whole point of why we're doing this. But I think that, again, the answer, and this is why we created Muscle Science for Women, because it allows us to go through an educational and also troubleshooting process with a group of women, is that there is no one answer. There is no like, yes, intuitive eating is possible and it's always good and that's what you should do. Or yes, everyone should track all the time because it's just smart and you've got the answers or whatever you should eat keto or whatever. There is no one answer. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, we can give you all kinds of tools and all kinds of suggestions and all kinds of best practices, but every individual has to try it and put the time and the effort and the work in themselves to figure out what works. And we're all going to look a little different. So I hope that stuff like this podcast and stuff like the program, what it does is it provides some like some support and some encouragement that like, you can do it. You can do that process. Mm -hmm. You can figure it out for yourself. You're smart enough. You can listen to your body. Um, You can make mistakes and, and, and fix them. You can come back from setbacks. That's what we're all doing. Um, And when you do it that way, instead of just being told by somebody who's like, nope, you should fast and you should never eat carbs again. And that's what you should do. When you figure out your own way, it's more empowering and it's probably more sustainable and you're probably more likely to stick to it and enjoy it and actually benefit from it. Right. So Mm -hmm. that's, I think what our goal is like, yes, we're coaches and yes, we're working with people, but we're working with people to teach them and support them and empower them so that they can walk away from that interaction and do it themselves instead of having to keep coming back and getting help from other people. hundred percent. Yeah. I think you nailed it. 
Go team. Nailed it. LNB. Awesome. Is that what it is? I love that. <laughs> L- <laughs> L and and B's and I yeah. want to I want to end on this too because I think this is interesting so and you're probably like you're probably going to be like what the heck so in my weekly check-in forms for my one-on-one clients one of the questions is are you a thousand percent positive you tracked every lick nib- nibble and bite this week that's a question that they have to answer they have often, to answer it every single week how often do people say yes so that's the thing it starts off with I'm zero percent positive, <laughs> and then. But the reason I ask that question, it's not to want them or tell them that they have to track every single lick, nibble, and bite, like down to like the the piece of lettuce or whatever. It's to build the awareness behind that and to think back and like, okay, I'm tracking, I'm tracking my food, but how accurate am I tracking? Because when it co- goes back to what I said before. A lot of people track and then they don't track, you know, those lick symbols and bites. They don't track, you know, those things that add up, you know, throughout the day. And so they think that they can only eat 1600 calories to maintain their weight. When in reality, they're probably eating 2200 calories throughout the day. So if you can become like, if you are tracking, that's why being accurate about it and like actually tracking the lick symbols and bites for a period of time can be so rewarding because you can see, oh shit. I'm eating a lot of food and I'm maintaining or I'm losing weight on all of this food versus having that like um, kind of deceiving mentality of like, okay, I'm like, I see on my food log that it's 1400 calories or whatever, but I'm not losing anything. But is that really how much you're eating? Um, and, and it doesn't necessarily have to go back to fat loss, but it's all about kind of that awareness piece of it. And that, that idea that like a lot of us could probably be are probably and could probably eat a lot more and nourish ourselves a lot more and not fear and think that 2000 calories a day is like crazy because for most women of average size you can absolutely maintain your weight at 2000 calories plus plus right Mm -hmm. obviously there's different things that go into that and this could be a whole other podcast on its on its own Mm -hmm. but i kind of want to just leave that there for people to, to really think about because it's like you can be eating a lot of food or you could think that you're eating a little bit amount, a little amount of food, but you're actually eating more. And like, why don't you just track that so you can see how much you can nourish yourself and still reach your goals or maintain your goals. Um, so that's where just the awareness is like the biggest piece of that. So Mm -hmm. anyway, I don't know why I wanted to end on that, but I like it. Awareness is the key with whatever it is you're trying to figure out. Um, no right or wrong. You can track those licks or not, <laughs> but figure out what works for you. LNB, baby. All right, that's it. LNBs. Okay. That's it. Thank you. And we'll be back at some time soon with a new topic. I'm sure you're going to love it. See you later. <laughs> Bye. All right, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you found it helpful. Uh, If you are interested in our Muscle Science for Women program, we do run it at this point. We're doing it, I think, twice a year. We're looking at maybe doing another cohort in the summertime. So if you are interested, reach out to me. I can put you on a waiting list and a first-to-know list um, for the next time the program runs. So let me know if you're interested. And I do have some other podcasts lined up uh, coming out over the next few weeks. So, you know, they're going to still be regular, just maybe not every week. Don't worry about it. You're still going to hear my voice uh, for better or for worse, relatively regularly. Um, So that's it. Thank you to my show sponsor. I've got the same handful of amazing companies who support me and who I love and who I'd be telling you about regardless of if they were podcast sponsors or not. And today, is this episode is brought to you by Bioptimizers. These guys make gut health improving supplements and other supplements. So the ones that I use mostly from Bioptimizers are their magnesium product, which has seven different types of magnesium. So it basically fixes every issue that we probably are all (laughs) dealing with because we all have magnesium deficiencies. I take it every night to help me go to sleep um, and help me with muscle recovery and relaxation. They also have an incredible 
probiotic product and a digestive enzyme product. And I do not take these all the time. I take them when I notice my digestion is off or if I'm stressed out or if I'm traveling or if I'm eating weird. And it is like night and day. I cannot tell you how impactful and effective these products are. I've also been giving them out to friends and family members who have digestive issues. And I know that this isn't just about like give you a supplement to fix your problems. Like there are usually root causes to this digestive stuff that goes deeper. But the benefits I have seen from my friends and family who are taking these products, it's like crazy. Like really, really nuts. I cannot recommend these products highly enough. So if you want to learn more about them, reach out to me. I can help answer your questions. You can also go to buyoptimizers.com and use the code MUSCLEMAVEN to get 10% off anything you try. So do that. Reach out to me if you have any questions. As always, I'll be back soon enough with another amazing episode for you. And until then, I hope you are healthy and happy and enjoying your life. That's it. I'll talk to you soon.